13. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you and you'd like to follow along, there are a few Bibles in front of you, and it's on page 968. We'll be on page 968, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. <clears throat> the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he hath distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. we sent him out of the country and um, and uh, so so take take advantage of this uh, kind of point in time anniversary to uh, to drop them a, a card or a note uh, to encourage them how you have been encouraged and blessed by them in these past uh, 10 years and uh, it's been a, it's been a been a challenging decade hasn't it Susan uh, health issues, all kinds of things going on in their lives. And can I remind us of one thing, that uh, God brings a pastor to a church to shepherd that church and take care of that church, but God uh, prepares a church uh, to, for the pastor. God knew that this would be the most challenging decade of their lives, and he brought them here. We don't take that lightly. We are, we are here to take care of them as much as they are to take care of us. And, and I'm so thankful that he brought them here because there's no better place you could have come uh, and no better congregation you could have come to that was going to love you and take care of you 
And so I'm so encouraged by so many of you that have done that for them. So take advantage of, of this opportunity to, uh, to bless them at this time. And um, I'm sure that will be an encouragement to them. As, uh, as America has, let's say, um, moved into their post-Christian era, the, uh, the belief in God, or certainly the ridicule of those who believe in God, has certainly increased. And even those who would look around at, uh, at the world and say, well, there's, there's intelligent design, so I can't deny that. There, there must be something up there, someone up there, some force up there. But they would quickly deny that that person or force is, is personal, that they are uh, aware of and care about the details of their individual lives. And so, so this kind of belief in a, in a personal creator is certainly waning in our culture. And, and yet, at the same time, there is a persistent belief in uh, what I'll call the law of reciprocity. If, if you don't know what the law of reciprocity is, basically it's this, what goes around comes around. And, this, and th though people don't believe in a personal creator, somehow there is this mysterious force, this cosmic accountant somewhere that keeps track of everything that we do. And, and if, I, if I'm doing good things, you know, good things are coming back to me. And if I'm doing bad things, then bad things are coming back to me. And you even hear people say how that affects the way they live their lives, right? Well, I'm going to return that wallet because I, I don't want bad vibes coming to me. I'm, I'm going to do this good thing because I don't want... You know, because I want good things coming back to me. It's most commonly called uh, karma, right? Which is borrowed from Eastern religions. And it's a persistent belief in our culture, and as often happens with persistent beliefs in our culture, they find their way into the church. And so now the idea of what I would call Christian karma is, is popular in the, in the church. And uh, if you don't know Christian karma, it usually looks something like this. And we, in, in Christian circles, we make it sound a lot more spiritual. And we'll take verses like sowing and reaping from Galatians 6. And, and it gets twisted like this. And it's a really dangerous way to, to think about it is that, you know what? If things are going good in your life, then, you know, you must be living right. You know, maybe that sin in your life really isn't that big of a deal. If things are going well, then God's obviously happy with you. And if things are going bad in your life, right, they would look at the Hamiltons and say, I wonder what they did wrong. It must be your fault. God must be punishing you. You're going through trials, going through suffering, going through loss, going through pain. Christian karma, really dangerous. In fact, a, uh, the wife of a TV preacher got into trouble um, not that long ago by saying, you know, when we do good things, uh, we don't do good things for God. We do them for ourselves. Christian karma. I only do good things because I want good stuff coming back to me. I don't do them for, for the love of God or for the glory of God. And, and yet we see things in the scriptures about sowing and reaping. We see it in this text, sowing and reaping. How are we to rightly think about sowing and reaping? 
How are we to think about it this morning in the context of giving? And um, I didn't look around during the uh, scripture reading to see if anybody's shoulders slumped when you realized that, uh, you know, Toby preached on giving last week from chapter 8, and now uh, we're preaching on it again. You thought you'd dodge that bullet, but no, uh, we're not. Paul is not done. If you're, if you're new uh, to Gray Road, um, we preach systematically through books of the Bible uh, for several reasons. One, to protect us from our own agendas, right? I come to, with this text because that's what's been given to me. And we trust greatly in the providence of God that this text is what he wants for this congregation on this day. And, and I, I rest in that, and I have seen that over and over and over and over. So, so why... Why talk about giving? Because sometimes it's easy to question the motive of the guy in the pulpit. Why, why is he talking about giving? I, I'm thankful that I can say I'm not on the payroll. Uh, so uh, I have no vested interest financially in your giving. I can also tell you that I've been in this church for all of my 51 years, and I have seen decade after decade after decade after decade uh, that God moves his people to give. I've seen it here um, in the worst of times. I've seen it in the best of times. Uh, God moves his people at Gray Road to, to, to give. Uh, only he can do that. So that's, that's not the motivation this morning. You know, Paul's motivation, which is our motivation this morning, is that every person in that Corinthian church would experience the joy of giving. And that's our motivation this morning that every single one of us would experience the joy of giving because it is transformational. And so let's pray as we begin this morning. God, we are thankful that you gave. Where would we be if you were not a giver? We ask you for... Um, your, your guidance and your wisdom and your understanding in this text that you would reveal to us the truth of it. Would you encourage us through this? Would you challenge us through this? And uh, may we understand it clearly uh, that we may experience the joy of giving as you have designed for us. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I've got to get my water down. Did I not turn my mic on? <laughs> you, you got me covered, though, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm on now if you want to switch. Once again, I want to express my appreciation that these services are being live streamed. Uh, at the beginning of the year, we, uh, we uh, started with a message, of, a series of messages on prayer. And I had Philippians 4, and uh, I'm sure you remember it vividly. Uh, the, uh, the passage there, Paul makes the case that prayer is not just a means to an end. That prayer itself is a great blessing. Prayer itself results in, in a divine joy and a divine peace regardless of the answer, regardless 
of circumstances. And, and I say that to say that I think we're going to see the same thing here in uh, 2 Corinthians 9. Paul is going to make the case that giving is not just a means to an end. Giving itself is a blessing, which is why it's called the gift of giving. Giving itself is a gift. And listen, there are many things. Paul, Paul's going to list 14 different things uh, that, that come as a result of giving. But I think the broader point is that giving itself is a gift. And, and I think the main point that we will see here this morning can be transformational. And I think we see it very clearly here in these 10 verses. As we give, God gives more so we can give more. As we give, God gives more so we can give more. And the, the, the points of emphasis, there's two pretty clear points of emphasis in this. Uh, the first one is uh, the first couple of verses are about the heart of the giver. The second several verses are about the harvest of the giver. And um, it's interesting here that, that Paul, in many passages through the epistles, uh, goes after the mind. But when he talks about giving, he goes after the heart. Giving is a matter of the heart. Back in Exodus 25, when God was wanting to build the tabernacle, he, he told Moses to go to the people. He wanted to take an offering so he could build the tabernacle where his presence would dwell. And he says to Moses, as, as the people's heart makes them willing, let them give. That's, that's the literal text. As the people's heart makes them willing, let them give. He, didn't want, he did not want his place of worship being built with reluctant giving. <clears throat> he knew that had to come from the heart. And so we'll, we'll see three things that make up the heart of a giver. The first one is this. It is a trusting heart, and we see that clearly in verse 6 in this picture of sowing and reaping. And I know we are not as much of an agrarian society as we used to be, but I'm sure you understand this. This is pretty intuitive. Paul is using a very natural law here of sowing and, and reaping, and sowing sparingly or generously, and reaping sowing or sparingly or generously. We all understand that. You can't expect a big harvest if you only plant a few seeds. But Paul is, is drawing a picture of faith here. A picture of trust. He's speaking from a Jewish perspective. And if, if you understand the way the Jews would have uh, understood this from a harvest, uh, from a sowing and reaping standpoint, they would harvest in the fall. And the first thing they would do is they would take a step of faith. <clears throat> they would take the, the, the top uh, 10% and give it back as an offering to God, the offering of first fruits, not the last fruits, the first fruits. And that was a big step of faith because now they've got 90% left to last them, not just through the winter, but all the way to the next harvest. And, and so it's a big step of faith to say, God, this, all this is yours anyway. I'm going to give back the, the first part, trusting that you will provide for me through the rest of the year. That wasn't the only step of faith. The next step of faith was they had to take another significant percentage off the top and save it back in the barn as what we would call seed corn. 
right? And so there's a significant chunk they keep in the barn all winter, trusting the Lord that he's going to provide for them, right? And they, they can't panic and, and either start eating that seed corn or selling that seed corn or they're not going to have anything to plant in the spring, right? So that's a second step of faith. Now they've only got, I don't know, 60, 70% left. And then the third step of faith comes in the, in the spring. Now they've got to take that seed out of the barn and put it in the ground, trusting that they, whatever's left will get them through to the harvest. You see the three steps of faith. Paul is saying that, that giving is a step of faith. And I think what he would say here is that what stays in the barn doesn't multiply. Only what goes in the ground. What, what's interesting about that is it, it's, it, it harkens to what Jesus said about the, remember the story about the rich man who had such a big harvest, he didn't know what to do, and he said, I'm going to tear down my barn, I'm going to build bigger barns. Uh, what Paul is saying here is, no. You don't build bigger barns because the stuff in the barn doesn't multiply. Only the stuff you take out of the barn and put in the ground is what multiplies. This is a great step of faith. And he uses this, these, these two words, uh, sparingly and bountifully, to describe this. And both of these are interesting. The word for sparingly there has, has two different ways you can interpret it, both of which are instructive. Uh, the first is, is more obvious. When he says sparingly, it's the root word spare, which we understand to mean to, to spare something from judgment, to spare something from punishment, to spare something from danger. And, and Paul is saying in our giving, right, we're not to give sparingly. We're not to hold back anything. We're to hold loosely to those things. And, and so generously. Not sparingly, but generously. The other word that he uses, or that you could use in this to translate this, is the word frugal. <laughs> that you're not to give frugally. If you give frugally, you will reap frugally. And, and if you're like me, you kind of step back and say, well, wait a minute. There's nothing wrong with being frugal. I was raised to be frugal. In, in fact, I can guarantee you my dad has Arby's coupons on him this morning. <laughs> or very close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing wrong with being frugal. Paul is not saying here that we should not be frugal in our living. He's saying don't be frugal in your giving. Be frugal in what you spend but bountiful in what you give. It's kind of like uh, a couple weeks ago on, in, on Halloween, if you have lots of kids in your neighborhood and you're not sure if you have enough candy, at the beginning of the night, you are giving sparingly, right? It's like one for you, one for you, and one for you. By the end of the night, you realize you're gonna have 500 pieces left and you're like, here, right? Take as much as you want, sparingly, Bountifully. You know the word for bountiful there that's, that's really helpful visually? It's actually um, communicated in verse 9 when it's, uh, it's talking about the, the, uh, the generous giver. It says, he has distributed 
freely. The picture there is to scatter. It makes me think of the, the parable of the sower that Jesus said. There's, well, there's a strong connection between giving and uh, sharing the gospel. We'll talk about that later. But the, the picture of the, the sower, it says he scatters the seed, right? And some of it fell here and some of it fell here. Some of it fell here. That's, that's the picture, right? The only way you're going to be able to scatter is if you're holding loosely, right? When you're planting, you're not planting one here and one here. You're, you're, you're scattering. That's the picture of the way that we are to give. Not sparingly, but scattering. So a trusting heart, the picture of sowing and reaping. The second uh, thing we see about the heart of a giver is that it is a purposeful heart. In verse uh, 7, very clear. It says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. The first thing we see about this purposeful heart, this is a, an individual thing. Each one must give. You know, we could spend a lot of time talking about, uh, you know, the law and grace and percentages and this and that and and, and listen, I played that game when I was first, when we were first married, and I was trying to figure out what to give, and I, I looked for the, the loopholes. Um, uh, can I tell you from personal experience, if you're looking for loopholes when it comes to giving your, your hearts in the, in the wrong place, uh, I, I personally can tell you that journey. Uh, Paul does not focus here on what they should give. Right? He focuses on how they should give. He doesn't give them, he doesn't say all of you should give the same way or the same amount. He focuses on how. Here's what, I think here's what Paul understood, and I think if you've been through the journey of giving, you, understood, you understand this. You get the how right, the, the what is, is not going to be a problem. I had to learn that. Maybe you've had to learn that. Paul focuses on the what, not the how. Now, C.S. Lewis said when somebody was asking them, uh, you know, what, what should we give, he said this, I do not believe that one can settle how much we ought to give. The only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. Don't give sparingly, only what you can spare. Give bountifully. It's individual. The second thing is that it's intentional. This word purposeful, as, or, or the, where it says as, as he has decided in his heart, literally that's as he has purposed in his heart. This is, Paul would say, this isn't something that's just kind of random or ad hoc, or you walk in and say, well, you know, what do, what do I want to give today? It's it's intentional. It's something that you've thought about. It's something that you've prayed about. It's something that you've let God move your heart over. It is intentional. As you have purposed in your heart. I think it parallels to what Jesus said about where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think what Jesus, what Jesus was saying is, as you give, it reveals the purpose of your heart Paul is saying, as you purpose in your heart, you will give. 
So the heart of a giver is a trusting heart. It is a purposeful heart. And of course, it is a joyful heart. The rest of verse 7. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That phrase there, not reluctantly or under compulsion, I think Paul had something very specific in mind here. There's a quote here from Clark on this that I think is really useful. It says this better than I can. The Jews had in the temple two chests for giving. The one was for what was necessary or what the law required. The other was for the free will offerings. To escape judgment, some would give grudgingly, give what necessity obliged them. Others would give cheerfully for the love of God and through pity to the poor. Of the first, nothing is said. They simply did what the law required. Of the second, much is said. God loves them. To these sorts of giving in the temple, the apostle most evidently alludes. Remember, until we referred to this last week, remember Jesus was in the temple watching the giving. Which one did he watch? He wasn't watching the, the law bucket. He was watching the free will bucket. The focus here is on the how, not on the what. And God loves a cheerful giver, not a reluctant giver, not a giver under compulsion. And the word here, cheerful, I love, I love this word. It's, uh, it's the word that we, uh, the Greek word, hilaros. Anybody want to guess what, what English word we get from hilaros? Hilarious. This is an overflowing <clears throat> emotion of joy and happiness. Uh, the, the closest way I can describe it is the feeling you get, <clears throat> or the feeling you will get this Christmas season uh, when you give a gift to someone you really love. You're giving a gift to your spouse, you're giving a gift to your child, you're giving a gift to your grandchildren. And, I mean, is, is there any better feeling? I, I mean, Christmas morning for me is the best day of the year, and I couldn't care less if I get anything. Well, you didn't hear that. <laughs> <clears throat> I, really, I really couldn't care less. I cannot wait to get up on Christmas morning and watch people open their gifts. There is a, there is just, and I am not sitting, and those of you who know me, Mr. Frugal, I'm not sitting there with my hand on my wallet saying, oh boy, that costs a lot. Man, I, I am just overjoyed to watch people open gifts that I love because, because I know they are going to delight in that gift, and that brings me joy. Paul is saying that God delights in a cheerful giver. I give with a joy, almost a giddy joy, knowing that the one I'm giving it to delights in it. And so that's one end of the emotional spectrum. The other end of the emotional spectrum is uh, writing a check to the IRS. Any joy in that, knowing that you're giving your money to the United States government who will spend it very, very wisely? <laughs> I think what Paul puts before us here 
hilarious, cheerful, giddy, reluctant, compulsory. All right, when you give to God's work, oh, where are you on this spectrum? God has moved me. <laughs> He's still got some moving to do. God has moved me this way over many years. We all could tell our story, I hope. I don't know where you are on that journey, but I hope you're trending this way. There's a joy that comes from giving that will transform your life. And so the, the heart of a giver. Why does God delight so much in a cheerful giver? Uh, there's a quote here from, from Cruz. That's, that says this well, it is, it is not difficult to suggest why God delights in a cheerful giver. He himself is such a giver and desires to see this characteristic restored among those who were created in his image. Huh. You ever think about that? As I give joyfully, I am imaging my creator. Hmm. That should make me joyful in my giving. So the heart of a giver, a trusting heart, not sparing, but scattering. A purposeful heart, not what, but how. A joyful heart. Uh, cheerful, hilarious, not IRS, all right? So what about the harvest of the giver? The next several verses List no less than 14 things uh, I've summarized into three. Good for you. The harvest of a giver. And listen, th this is where, you know, for, for those of us who are leery of how this passage and other passages like this have been twisted and, uh, and have been twisted for much harm in the church, uh, the easy thing here to do would just be to leave this at a, at a kind of a spiritual level and just talk about the spiritual benefits and the spiritual blessings and rewards. And Jesus talks about, you know, being rewarded a hundredfold in heaven. And there are heavenly rewards that come from giving, but the context here is material. We can't, we can't shy away from this. Paul is talking about a material gift, and he's talking about material blessings. How are we to rightly see this without wandering into error? Fortunately, this is about the easiest text to understand because Paul hits the point over and over and over, so I think we'll see it really clearly. The first point is that the harvest of a giver is God's provision. This is material. Those who give can trust in God to meet their material needs. Now, he says that in Philippians 4, right? My God will supply your needs. That's in the context of giving. Same thing here. You can trust God to meet your needs if you are giving. I mean, look at, look at how many times he says this. God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, verse 8. Verse 10, he supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. He will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. 
In verse 12, by the, for your ministry, you'll supply the needs of the saints. This is material. You can count on God to supply your needs if you give. But what if he gives you more than you need? Nice problem to have, right? What if God gives you more than you need? You build bigger barns, right? It's the American dream. Now, Paul says, God gives you more so you can give more. <laughs> Look at how many, how many times he, he says this. That you may abound in every good work. That's why he gives you more. He who supplies seed will supply and multiply your seed, what? So you can build bigger barns. He's going to multiply your seed so you can plant more. Verse 11, he's, he's going to give you more so you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Verse 12, he's going to give you more so you can supply the needs of others. God gives us more so we can give more. You may have heard this adage that God gives us, God gives to us not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress uh, wrote, uh, a man there was, they called him mad, the more he gave, the more he had. And so he gave more, and he had more, and he gave more, and he had more. He didn't build bigger barns because what's in the barn doesn't multiply. Only what's in the ground multiplies. We can count on God's provision. He will give us what we need, and if he gives us more than we need, uh, we give more. Second, we see that we get God's contentment. In verse 8, so having all sufficiency in all things and all times. This is speaking of a divine contentment. The word here for sufficiency is an interesting word. It's similar to the word that's used in the Beatitudes for blessed, in that it's a Greek word that kind of refers to uh, the divine gods, that they were separate from human circumstances, they were separate from human possessions, and so they had a, a joy that, that transcended those things. And that's how Paul describes uh, the Christian who gives. And, and here's the, the definition from, um, from Barclay here. In, in ancient Greek, this word meant a complete self-sufficiency. It meant a frame of mind which was completely independent of all outward things and which carried the secret of happiness within itself. It's, it's a sufficiency and a contentment that is completely disconnected with material possessions. It's completely disconnected with what I have or what I don't have. All sufficiency in all things at all times. As I give, God gives me a contentment. As I free myself from material things, and I'm, and I'm liberated from that. I have a contentment right, that, that surpasses human understanding as I have all things that I need for all times. Finally, 
Uh, not only get God's provision and God's contentment, it results in God's glory. That's part of my harvest. Verse 11, giving in this way will produce thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, it will result in overflowing and many thanksgivings to God. Verse 13, they will glorify God because of your submission. Verse 14, they will recognize this is because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. As we give, God is glorified. And, and listen, here's, here's how you know your heart's in the right place when you, when you talk about giving or you talk about serving. If you give or you serve and, and people immediately turn that to God and they praise God more than they praise you and, and you're okay with that, <laughs> your heart's in the right place. Because listen, if, if, if we are glorified, nothing good comes from that. If God is glorified and God is exalted, right, we are drawn to him and others will be drawn to God as we glorify him. This is why we do it. God's glory and not ours. God's provision, God's contentment, God's glory. I summarized into those three things, but I think it's powerful to see these things all listed side by side when you think about when Paul says you will reap generously. Look at, look at these things that Paul just lists one right after the other of, of what we will reap generously if we sow generously. One, God is able to bless you abundantly. Two, you will have contentment in all things at all times. Three, you'll have all that you need. Four, you will be abundant in every good work. Five, an increased ability to give. Six, you'll have a harvest of righteousness. Seven, enriched in every way. Eight, generous on every occasion. Nine, resulting in thanksgiving to God. Ten, supplying the needs of God's people. Eleven, overflowing in thanks to God. Twelve, praise to God. Thirteen, evidence of the gospel and grace in our lives. And fourteen, people even pray for you who you have given to. And that doesn't even talk about an increase in our faith and an increase in joy and an increase in peace and an increase in hope. We will reap a harvest if we sow and we scatter, not spare. He ends with this statement, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And, and it's been, the question's been asked, what, what gift is he talking about there? Is he talking about Jesus? Is he talking about the gospel? Is he talking about grace? Is he talking about giving? And I think the clue for this comes in this word inexpressible. Because Paul is, is I, I think he's talking about Jesus here. And, and the reason I think that is because Paul uses a word here um, he, he apparently could not find a word in the Greek language that would suffice to describe Jesus, and so he made up a new word. This word is found nowhere else in any Greek writings. It's like Paul didn't want to cheapen his description of Jesus here, so he just made up a new word that was inexpressible because that's what he was feeling. Clark says this about the inexpressible gift. I found this useful. Jesus Christ, the gift of God's love to mankind, is an unspeakable blessing. No man can conceive, much less declare, how great this gift is. For these things the angels desire to look into. Therefore, he may well 
be called the unspeakable gift as he is the highest gift God ever gave or can give to us. God loves a cheerful giver because God is a giver. And God delights to give. Have you ever recently just thought about what God has given to us? Again, I think these are useful to see together. I've got 10 here as a starting point. God the giver has, he has sown bountifully in us in this way. He first gave us himself. Our benevolent creator created us personally. When we messed that up, he gave us his son. That we could be restored to him and be forgiven. Third, he gave us his spirit that we would have the power to live the life he created us to live. Then he gave us his word so that we wouldn't wander around in the dark wondering what he expected and who he is. He gave us his grace, which is called the gift of God in Ephesians 2. He gave us justification and forgiveness, which is called the gift in Romans 3. He gave us the gift of eternal life, Romans 6. He gives us every good and perfect gift, James 1. He gives us all spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians. And then he gives everything to supply our needs here and in Philippians 4 and many other places. God has sown bountifully in us. Why has God sown bountifully in us? What does he expect? He expects a bountiful harvest from us, right? And this is where I can't get away from the, the, the parallel between how we are to give materially and how we are to give of the gospel. How are we are to sow and scatter the gospel. Right? That's the harvest that God wants to reap through us. Let me close with this thought. With that in mind. In, uh, on the wall of my uh, office where I work, there's this quote, which I really like. <clears throat> it's from Ralph Waldo Emerson. And it says this, the creation of a thousand forests is in one acorn. You ever heard that? The creation of a thousand forests is in one acorn, right? One acorn grows to one tree, drops hundreds of acorns, grows to hundreds of trees, thousands of acorns, thousands of trees, thousands of forests. I love that perspective. When I think about this, it makes me think of, of two women. I tell you a little story. Two women, one here in Indiana, one in West Virginia. This one here in West Virginia has, has gone to a revival service, but she's really there to pray for her brother who is missing in action because he was, he was at Pearl Harbor when it was attacked. And she goes to pray for her brother, and the, and the, the preacher, to his credit, doesn't just focus on the, the material things. He preaches the gospel, and, she, and the, that seed is planted, and, and she's saved. And she goes home and tells her daughter, and asks her daughter to come back with her the next time, and her daughter hears the gospel, and... Uh, that, that seed bears fruit, and, and she is saved. 
and neither one of their husbands are Christians, but this, this daughter has a heart for her children to hear the gospel and for the gospel to be scattered into their lives. So she makes sure that they go to church every week and hear the gospel. About the same time, another lady has come to Jesus. Somebody has shared the gospel to her and she comes to Christ and, and her husband's not a Christian, but she has a heart for her grandchildren to know the gospel. And she can't drive, but she makes sure that her grandchildren are, are picked up and taken to church every week where the gospel is sown in their lives bountifully. And one of these grandsons... The seed bears root, fruit, and, and he gets saved. And one of these granddaughters, the seed bears fruit. And by the providence of God, they end up in the same place, at the same church. And they meet, and they get married, not too far from here in Beach Grove. And they, have, and they purposed that their home was going to be a godly home, and, and uh, they, they have four children, four sons, in two and a half years. They were fruitful and multiplied. <laughs> and those, and they, were, they purposed that the gospel would be sown bountifully in their home. And they, they brought their kids to church every time the doors were opened. And that gospel, that seed bore fruit in each one of those four boys. And each one of those four boys married godly women and started homes where they were convicted that the gospel would be known and spread in their homes. Nine more children come, all of which are hearing the gospel they are starting to come to Jesus. Some of them are already getting married to godly spouses who are starting godly homes. Eighty years later, that person who shared the gospel with my great-grandmother and that preacher who was faithful to preach the gospel to my great-grandmother and the people who gave in that church to support that pastor, they are reaping a harvest 80 years later. That will last for generations. We pray for generations and generations and generations to come. When we give, that needs to be our mindset. I'm not sharing the gospel with one person. I'm planting an acorn that I want to be a thousand forests. When I give to God's ministry, I want to plant a seed in South Africa. That's not just a kid. That's, that's going to be a, a husband or a wife or a mother or a father that's going to impact generations. That's why we give. And as we give, God gives more so we can give more. Let's pray. Oh, God, we are so grateful you gave. Where would we be?